What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Hey, friends, thanks so much for listening to the podcast. And we want to make sure that you know about all the other exciting ways to get more exclusive content from The Bill Press Show. We're on Patreon. Did you know that? On Patreon. So to go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash BP show to get videos that nobody else gets. All we ask is five bucks a month and you get access to daily commentary and every week, we put up a special interview just for our Patreon subscribers. Hey, it's a great way to support progressive media and get your hands on some fun, new, exclusive content. Thanks so much for supporting the show by going to patreon.com slash bpshow. Everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show. Live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. All right. Last week he said he believed our intelligence agencies that Russia was trying to influence the election. This week, Donald Trump says, again, it is all a hoax. Which is it, Donald? Make up your mind. Hey, hello, everybody. Here we go. Monday, July 23rd. It is the Bill Press Show uh, coming out of the weekend. Hope it was a good one for you, a relaxing one for you. Time to uh, catch up, recharge your batteries, and uh, spend some time with your friends and family. Uh, have a little fun and uh, kick back. But now we're ready to dive into another another busy week. And there's no such thing as a dull news week, of course, in the era of Donald Trump. So we'll bring you up to date on what's going on. Tell you about the news here from Washington, D.C., both uh, just down the street from us at the United States Capitol and down Pennsylvania Avenue, a mile or so at the White House. Uh, Also, what's going on around the country and around the globe. Uh, Look forward to joining you coast to coast with all the news of the day. And there is a lot of it. Yes, indeed. Now it turns out there is a tape, another tape between Michael Cohen and Donald Trump talking about a payment to the ex-Playboy model. Yes, indeed. Also, speaking of tapes, Carter Page uh, caught by the FBI, and the FBI released the documents that show why they, he was, uh, uh, why they thought it was so important to get a FISA warrant to um, surveil Mr. Page because he was playing footsie with the Russians as far back as 2013, way before the Steele dossier. And yes, doubling down, indeed, Donald Trump saying, oh, Helsinki was such a great success. Let's have another one-on-one summit in Washington, D.C. with Vladimir Putin in September. All of that going on, you tell us what you think about it. Look forward to hearing from you and your comments on Twitter, at BP Show, at BP Show. We dive right in, but first. This is the Full Court Press. All 
righty, just a couple of other stories making news. You know, we've talked a couple times about how our podcast over the weekend, we do sort of extra yes, programming yes, yes. that you can't hear during the week. We did an uh, interview with uh, Tyler Ricky Tynes from SB Nation all about Josh Hader, the pitcher for the Milwaukee Brewers, who it turns out had a history of very yes, racist, yes. Right. sexist when tweets. When he was 17. When he was 17 and 18. Well, he played over the weekend, and believe it or not, he came out to a standing ovation in Milwaukee. He came out to the mound. The crowd seemingly did not care much about what he had to say uh, when he was a younger man. He came out from the bullpen and uh, helped wrap up the game for the Brewers to win. They beat the Dodgers 4-2, but again, as they announced his name and as he came jogging out to the mound, the crowd uh, greeted him with thunderous applause. Yeah, I don't think he should be held responsible for dumb stuff he said when he was 17. I have no problem with it, but I also am not super thrilled oh, that no. a crowd would give standing him a standing ovation, ovation no. in his no. first appearance after, after yeah. those tweets yeah. surfaced. No. Uh, it's Monday. Let's take a look at the box office. Big weekend for sequels. Number one movie in America, The Equalizer 2, starring Denzel Washington. It was a, basically a virtual tie between The Equalizer 2 and Mamma Mia 2 uh, and Hotel Transylvania 3 which came in third place. So all sequels in the top three this weekend. Uh, notably missing, by the way, notably out of the top three now, is the Marvel movie uh, Ant-Man, which yeah. was expected to do pretty well, but uh, it fell off pretty quickly. Boy, I think Hollywood is in bad shape, man. If well, you, if you look at if you look at the choices, you just line them up, right? It's actually been sort of a record-setting year for Hollywood. They're making tons of money, but they they're really they're having to point to just a couple of movies, right? Like Black Panther made a ton of movie, the Infinity War uh, Marvel thing. They made a bunch of movie, but I'm other not, than that, I'm not talking about how much money they made. I'm talking about the crap that they're putting out there. Yeah, I mean, you look at these I'm, I'm three sorry, week not, sequels yeah, is not yeah, exactly yeah. the type of movies but I really want to go see on a on a summer weekend. Have you, have you seen anything worth seeing recently? Yeah, Mr. Rogers. Mr. Rogers, there you go. <laughs> Won't you, you be go. my neighbor? <laughs> this is the Bill Press Show. Yes, indeed. Uh, what do you say? Donald Trump now saying that the whole Russian investigation, once again, saying the whole Russian investigation was a hoax. Uh, that that tweet coming out, also a tweet late last night, where basically he says, let's go to war with Iran. Ah, man, we keep saying it. Somebody take his cell phone away from him. Or else we just stop reading his tweets. Maybe that's the better answer. Hello, everybody. What do you say? Happy Monday. Monday, 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 July 23rd. So good to see you today. Thank you for joining us. It is the Bill Press Show, and we are live across this great land of ours. Live coast to coast from our studio right here in Washington, D.C. Hope you had a good weekend and look forward to uh, jumping back into the news with you, bringing you up to date on all that's going on in this great can uh, country of ours here in Washington, D.C. Congress will be coming back uh, later today. Uh, the president came, coming back from uh, Bedminster uh, Golf Course, where he was basically rained out over the weekend, uh, weren't we all, <laughs> on the East Coast. 
Uh, so he's back in the White House. Congress will be back today and we'll bring you up to date on what's going on there in both places and around the country and around the globe. Look forward to hearing from you on Twitter what you think about the news of the day at BP Show as we join you online on YouTube, youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. Don't forget, podcast, podcast, we keep reminding you, go to the podcast, sign up, be, be a regular member of the Bill Press team, and uh, check out our podcast over the weekend that way as well. Uh, we're also joining you, of course, on Free Speech TV nationwide and on the radio statewide in Indiana on Indiana Talks. And, of course, out in the greater Chicago area, look at you on WCPT. Great to see you today, and thank you for joining us. Before we, before we jump into the news of the day, I, I just got to tell you, it's so sad, uh, so tragic, that accident out in uh, Missouri where 17 people killed on one of those ducks when a, stor- a sudden storm came up. Let me just tell you. Uh, can I just say, it's all of you, okay, you heard me say it before, but not for a couple of years. Don't do it. Don't buy a ticket on one of those ducks. They are not safe on land, and they're not safe in the water. This is not the first accident. It was an accident down in Arkansas a couple of years ago where 13 people were killed. They're not meant to be, to take passengers into the water. They have very, I mean, I... I see them sometimes over at uh, Potomac Park going down the ramp into the water, <laughs> and I fear every time they're just going to flip right over. Uh, and you see them driving around Washington. They've got, a, you know, they've got them in a lot of more and more cities, and um, you see them on the streets of Washington, and you think they're going to tip over. They're just not safe vehicles. I think they ought to be outlawed, but please, please, please don't take your kids on them. Don't get on them yourself. Just stay away from those things. I mean, anyhow, it's just just tragic that they're, that they're that they're still out there, licensed to carry to carry passengers. Uh, and I saw the uh, interviews with the people last night, family members, and, and in fact, some of the survivors who were on board. And the, the captain said, "Oh yeah, there are life jackets over your overhead of you, but don't bother, don't don't worry about them. You won't need them. So just forget about them. Basically, didn't even tell them how to use them, how to get them. Just really." Tragic, tragic. Um, but back to the news of the day. You know what? It is Russia, Russia, Russia. Yes, indeed. And Donald Trump cannot get his story straight. So he goes. To, if the flip flops on this are just incredible. We saw him in Helsinki a week ago today, where he says, "No, I asked Putin. Putin says he's standing right alongside of him, of course." I asked Putin. Putin says he didn't do it. I believe him. I don't believe our intelligence director of national intelligence says they did interfere in the election. Vladimir Putin says they didn't. I believe Putin over Dan Coats. And then he comes back, and then he gets all this blowback and feedback from Americans in general and from members of his own party, leaders of his own party. So then he comes out and says, oh, I want to make it very clear— I do believe our intelligence agencies. I do believe that they tried to influence the election. didn't work, but I do believe that they tried to do it. So I believe our intelligence agencies. Well, that was like maybe, what, Thursday, Friday, whatever. Okay. Uh, no, over the weekend, he's back again with a, uh, back again with a, with a 
with a uh, tweet that says, quote, So President Obama knew about Russia before the election. Why didn't he do something about it? Why didn't he tell our campaign? Because it's all a big hoax. That's why. Can you keep track of this? I mean, no, I, I honestly can't. I, seriously, every day it's a different answer. I mean, you gotta, you, you sort of gotta feel sorry for the people that work around Donald Trump because they don't know what the official party line is. Oh, the Russians didn't. Okay, that's our line today. Oh no, they did. Okay, that's what we put out today. Oh no, now it's all a hoax again. So it's all back and forth. Well, as we know, it's not a hoax. There is so much evidence. Again, do we have to go through it again? 17 intelligence agencies all said Russia interfered in the election to try to get Donald Trump elected. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. In Helsinki, Vladimir Putin, well, while denying that they did anything about it, he said flat out, yes, I wanted Donald Trump to win because it would have been better for us if Donald Trump won. And then just before he goes to Europe... The Justice Department, Donald Trump's Justice Department, indicts 12 Russian military officers. This is on top of 13 Russians who were already indicted earlier. Indicts 12 Russian military officers by name, by rank, by serial number for hacking into the DNC and the DCCC. You cannot deny, you just simply cannot deny it any longer. But Donald Trump still does. Uh, And until he fesses up, and is willing to condemn Russia, accept it, and condemn Russia for it. Nothing is ever going to happen. Uh, and instead, again, he comes out of this. The other thing where he is just totally, totally blindsided and totally blinded, I should say, is about this Helsinki summit. Summit. He now is claiming that the summit was a huge, a huge success. In fact, he tweeted over the weekend, quote, I had a great meeting with Putin, and the fake news used every bit of their energy to try and disparage it. So bad for our country. You know, there's only one person I, th- who would, I think who would say he had a great meeting with Vladimir Putin. No, two, Vladimir Putin and Donald Trump. Yeah, I mean, this wasn't necessarily a media outrage. Certainly the media jumped on board, but part of the reason that the media got so hot about it was because you had all these Republicans coming out and saying, what the hell is our president doing? What the media was doing was reporting what Dan Coats said. Yeah. They were reporting what uh, even Mitch McConnell, Paul Ryan, uh, John McCain. I mean, go down the list. I think every Republican senator who spoke about it, some of them decided they would duck even Orrin Hatch, every Republican senator who spoke about it, except for Rand Paul, condemned the president's uh, remarks about Vladimir Putin. How is that fake news? Yeah. Every single one, right? Uh, not only that, <laughs> remember the, the newspapers around the world, the Mirror said, called it Putin's puppet. Putin's poodle. Was it or Putin? No, Putin's puppet. Putin's poodle. I think it was Putin's poodle. Putin's poodle, maybe, yeah. whatever. Yeah. Um, other other papers had like uh, open treason, open not open season, but open treason, and showed Trump alongside of alongside of Vladimir Putin. It was universal condemnation. And um, in the latest CBS poll, by the way, thirty two percent only thirty two percent of Americans 
approve of uh, Donald Trump's comments along with Vladimir Putin. 55% say it was a disgraceful performance, disapprove of it, and yet Donald Trump claims it's a huge success. And such a huge success, (coughs) pardon me, uh, that he has, yes, doubled down. This is the ultimate example of doubling down. It was such a huge success that I'm going to invite Vladdy back for another meeting. We're going to have another meeting, and this one is going to take place in Washington, D.C. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, at our house, at our White House, Vladimir Putin invited here to Washington, D.C., when in September, in the middle of the midterm elections, Donald Trump is going to foist another meeting with Vladimir Putin on his party and every single Republican running for anything from dog catcher to the U.S. Senate is going to have to comment on and approve or disapprove of what Donald Trump does with, Donald, with Vladimir Putin in September. This is absolutely idiotic. Uh, although, hmm, uh, Mike Pompeo, the Secretary of State, falls on his sword for Donald Trump. Mike Pompeo saying, oh, no, this is a really good idea. I'm happy that the two leaders of two very important countries are continuing to meet. Uh, and if that meeting takes place in Washington, I think it's all, all, all to the good. Uh, our former national security advisor under uh, President Obama, Susan Rice, uh, she was on uh, this week uh, with ABC's This Week yesterday saying uh, that one-on-one meeting, it should never have happened. There never should have been a one-on-one meeting of any length. Uh, and now uh, we are left to wonder, and even the president's cabinet members are left to wonder, what exactly happened? Yeah, we don't know. And there are more and more stories that apparently, you know, Donald Trump uh, uh, agreed to cooperate and, and get and work together with Russia in Syria. Nobody knows what that's all about. Um, And the military doesn't know what it's all about. And now the Russians are saying, okay, let's follow up on what the president promised to do. And, you know, James, uh, reportedly James Mattis and the others are scratching their heads saying, what did he promise to do? We have no idea. Still no transcript uh, uh, of, uh, of, of uh, of that meeting. But you just can't escape uh, the Russian news. In fact, uh, I thought Adam Schiff uh, made a very good point yesterday also on this week. Uh, Adam Schiff, the ranking Democrat on the House Intelligence Committee, Adam Schiff from uh, West Hollywood, California, or representing that area, West uh, Los Angeles, saying that, you know, you keep coming back when you see, and we we talked about this last week, Peter, when you see Donald Trump alongside of Vladimir Putin, and, and that question was asked of Vladimir Putin, do you have any compromising material on Donald Trump? And Putin wouldn't answer it. Adam Schiff says you keep coming back to thinking maybe that's what it is. I certainly think he's acting like someone who's compromised, uh, and it may very well be that he is compromised, or it may very well be that he believes that he's compromised, that the Russians have information on him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it certainly does look that way, doesn't yeah. it? Whether or not he's guilty, yeah. time will tell, right? right? There are investigations, plural, that will take a look at that, but he damn sure looks guilty. And that's part of it. I mean, especially with politics, where optics is everything. He looks guilty as hell. Yeah. And you, everybody's, more and more people just come around to asking, you know, what do they have on him? What does Putin have on him that makes him so deferential to Putin? And, and this man who obviously 
loves strong men, right? Kim Jong-un, Vladimir Putin, Erdogan of Turkey. Uh, and yet he gets alongside of Putin, and he himself looks so weak. Donald Trump, so weak, just basically giving in on every point. It's just really, really strange. But again, the Russia thing, Donald Trump can't escape it from every side over the weekend. There was more news Russia-related. So we talked about the, you know, the aftermath of the one-on-one, the so-called summit in Helsinki, and Donald Trump back and forth on it. But then, over the weekend, who who pops up again? Carter Page. Remember, so... <laughs> we will never stop talking about Carter Page, it feels like. Here's this mystery man in the Trump campaign that we found out the FBI was so suspicious of him. Now, follow this, okay? So they, so the FBI went, went to the FISA court, and they went in front of three judges on the FISA court, all of whom are Republican judges, all of whom nominated by Republican presidents, appointed by Republican presidents. And they said, we think this guy is playing footsie with the Russians, and we want to um, uh, have a warrant so that we can wiretap him. And the FISA court looked at the evidence and said, yes. So one of the one, one part of the information that they gave to the FISA judges was information that came out of the famous Christopher Steele dossier. Remember that whole thing originally started by Republican opponents, uh, paid for by Republican opponents of Donald Trump during the primary, and then later uh, taken over by a law firm connected to the Clinton campaign. At any rate, Donald Trump and the Republicans say that, that, that this proves that the FBI was in bed with Hillary Clinton. They wanted Hillary to win. This is all about the Steele dossier. They should never have been surveilling Carter Page. And Donald Trump signed an order ordering the Justice Department to release the documents to, to show what the FBI was up to. Well, guess what? They did. They released them on Friday. And those documents show that the FBI had cause to suspect that Carter Page was having meetings with and doing business with Russians as far back as 2013, well before the Trump campaign got started, long before the Christopher Steele dossier, and then picked them up again in 2016. But they started the surveillance back in 2013. So basically, the documents that Trump ordered released proved that what Donald Trump was saying was not the truth. And now Donald Trump, of course, is still saying, this proves everything I was saying was true. No, they don't. No, they don't. Just take a look at these. These documents prove that the, that the FBI had sufficient reason to suspect what Donald Trump, what Carter Page was up to, again, three years before the Trump presidential campaign. Carter Page was on CNN yesterday. This is the guy who can't stop talking. I can't understand it. Can't stop. You know, he ought to get a good lawyer, and that lawyer should—the first thing that lawyer, I'm sure, would tell him is, shut up. I I still think—this is like from a year ago when he went on Chris Hayes' show, and Chris Hayes said— Chris Hayes Hayes said, you're either naive or crazy or something Well, no, he said, said, you you are either very, very, very innocent— or you're completely out of your mind. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, that was it. No, that was about a year ago. They went on Chris Hayes, right? Yeah. So this weekend he goes on CNN with Jake Tapper, and it was very interesting. He would not directly answer the question, were you ever an agent? 
See, the FBI really suspected that Russia was trying to make him one of their agents, was trying to uh, to you know, hire him, convert him, flip him. Uh, so Carter Page would not answer that question directly yesterday, but he did say basically it's all spin. Here it is. No, I've n- I've never been an agent of the foreign pol- uh, power in any by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, yeah, you see, that doesn't really answer the question. Uh, let me tell you something. Mark my words. It's only a matter of time before Carter Page is indicted by Robert Mueller. And again, by 2016, he's already a player in the Trump campaign, and he's on the same foreign policy advisory board that, um, oh, you know who I mean, the other guy. <laughs> George Papadopoulos is on. Oh, right, right. Headed by Jeff Sessions. Oh, boy. So it all comes, it's all mixed up. It's all, yeah, it's just, I'm telling you, it is so clear. They were all involved in this. They were playing footsie with the Russians all through the campaign, and there's more and more evidence that that comes out. And then on top of that, and we'll talk more about this with John out a little bit later, uh, the, the other Russian news is this. Oh, she she comes across as Maria Butina, the name. Uh, this this over and above the Trump campaign, although not entirely apart from him, is this woman who suddenly shows up in Washington and starts infiltrating organizations, conservative organizations, to try to get close to Republican operatives and to the Trump campaign in order to help the cause of Russia. And it turns out that she's funded by this billionaire, Russian billionaire, oligarch, uh, who, who also comes up in having trying to do business deals with Donald Trump during Donald Trump's real estate, real estate days. Uh, Marie Bettina, who did manage to get, into, get in with the uh, NRA, the National Rifle Association, and the National Prayer Breakfast, which is what I love most of all. That's amazing. Yeah. And she was trading sex for uh, information uh, and trying to set up meetings with um, with uh, top uh, Trump officials and Republican officials uh, to talk about Russia and, and get them together with leading with leading Russians. That whole thing is 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 churning, and we'll we'll find out more about it. So all of that, all of that, are all these all interrelated Russian connections that have come up in, in the uh, in the last couple of days. There is some other news, by the way. Um, the Republicans have decided where they are going to hold their national convention. Charlotte. Yeah. We were there, we what, were. eight years ago, Peter? Four, yeah. Or a little more now, maybe? It was the first. Charlotte was the second. No, the, the second. second. So the second Obama. Five yeah. and a half years So 2012. Ago. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, right. We were there. By the way, they did a good job. Sure, yeah. It's a pretty small city for a big national convention, but they handled it and... Uh, we discovered some very fine restaurants. Yes, indeed. Down there. Yes, yes indeed. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so although, uh, although, despite what Michelle Obama said, remember this was a mini outrage of the day when we had the bandwidth to get outraged by such things. She talked yes. about the great barbecue scene that mm. Charlotte has, which they do not have a good barbecue scene, but they do have some good restaurants. Right, they did, and and we enjoyed them. Uh, the Democrats, meanwhile, haven't decided, uh, but it looks like. Did you see that the uh, they they they've announced the woman who's going to head? Oh, I'm blanking on her name. She's been a guest on the show. She was former executive director of the party. 
Uh, she was in studio with us a couple of times, um, but but she's moved on. Now she's going to be head of the search committee for the oh, Democrats, nice. and they've zeroed it down to three choices. It looks they're looking at Houston, Milwaukee, or Miami Beach. Oh, okay. Well, they're all solid. Yeah, they're all solid. Uh, it's it, interesting. Houston or Miami would be pretty bold choices because yeah. they're going into red state territory. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and Milwaukee is sort of a purple state. Uh, but um, That's so, gutsy. Yeah. Houston would gutsy. be gutsy. More Houston than the other type <laughs> thing. But yeah, Houston would be. Yeah. But Houston's great. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it really would be. Anyhow, we'll see, uh, we'll see how that uh, plays out. And yes, we have uh, another tape. Uh-huh. Uh, and this is getting more and more interesting. So we know that Michael Cohen, Donald Trump's personal attorney, uh, for many, many, many years, uh, and his business partner in a lot of deals. And yes, he's the guy that arranged the payment uh, with Stormy Daniels and Rudy Giuliani, as the one who told us after the White House had been denying it for a year. Right. Yes, they paid the money, $130,000. Yes, Donald Trump knew about it. Yes, Donald Trump reimbursed Michael Cohen for that money. It did not come out of Michael Cohen's mortgage. And... Uh, and Rudy even said he may have paid off some other women. Well, now it turns out that um, perhaps he did because uh, Michael Cohen now has revealed that he has a tape of a conversation that he had with Donald Trump regarding a payment to the for- a former Playboy model, a bunny, uh, that Donald Trump allegedly had an affair with. Yeah, allegedly, right. Uh, they wouldn't have been talking about paying her off to keep quiet if it were alleged. <laughs> right, right. I right. Mean, come on, let's uh, let's just be grown-ups here. Uh, but what's on this tape? And uh, uh, well, we don't know yet. The tape isn't public yet. But Michael Cohen has said he's willing to give it to authorities, uh, which makes the White House a little nervous. George Stephanopoulos, who discovered this in his interview with Michael Cohen, uh, talked about it yesterday on ABC's This Week. As he told me, he is prepared to tell the truth. He wants to do the right thing for his family, for his country, even if it's not favorable for President Trump. We've also seen since then he's been disagreeing with the president about the FBI raid, about his views on Russia. Michael Cohen is ready to tell the truth to po- prosecutors. Then it'll be up to prosecutors to determine what that means for Michael Cohen and Donald Trump. Let me tell you. Michael Cohen is the John Dean of this situation, I think. Michael Cohen is the one who's going to blow the whole thing apart. And he's, and everybody, the big question was, would he flip or not, or would he remain loyal to Donald Trump? He's made it very, very clear. He's said his family and his country comes first, not Donald Trump. He's ready to talk. He's ready to cooperate. And he knows Everything He who, knows more than anybody else about what Donald Trump was up to. You have to think to yourself, who was closer to Donald Trump than Michael Cohen? Uh, from a business point of view? From a business point of view. Nobody. Yeah, I, I can't think of anybody. One could argue maybe his kids were, but I would say Michael Cohen knew more even than his kids did. Probably. And Michael Cohen had an office right there at Trump Tower, right alongside of Donald Trump's suite, and they were doing, obviously, personal stuff yeah and business deals yeah real estate just deals. imagine what he knows yeah and, and the fact that he's recorded some of it and remember what they see is about five million documents and <laughs> they kept about three million of them right 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 
So if, there's, if Trump's got to worry about anybody blowing the whole thing apart, uh, it is, in fact, um, Michael Cohen. We'll see how that plays out. We've got so much to talk about. Uh, let's take a quick break. We're going to be joined when we come back by our good friend uh, from uh, the Ohio, former state senator from Ohio, political commentator Capri Cafaro. Joining us next here on the Bill Press Show this Monday, July 23rd. Hold on. Quick break. We'll be right back. This is the Bill Press Show. What do you say on a Monday, Monday, July 23rd? It is the uh, Bill Press Show. Uh, yes, we are not at war with Iran yet, so far as we know, although uh, from uh, Donald Trump's all caps tweet last night and threat to the president, uh, Rouhani of uh, Iran, it looks like uh, we. It looks like we can start a war anytime. It, it it looks very much like the tweets a year ago that he was sending out to uh, Kim Jong-un of uh, North Korea. So you never know what's going to happen. Great to see you today. Thanks for joining us. We're coming to you live from Washington, D.C., our nation's capital, our studio on Capitol Hill, where we're brought to you today by the United Steelworkers and their great international president, Leo Gerard, uh, the Honorable Leo Gerard, we call him. United Steelworkers, North America's largest industrial union, representing over 1.2 million good men and women there under President Gerard. We salute them, thank them for the sort of support of the program, and welcome to the studio, our good friend, uh, back from the UK, uh, but from Ohio originally, Capri Cafaro, former member of the Ohio State Senate, political commentator. Good to see you. Absolutely. Good morning. Happy Monday. Thank you. Uh, welcome back. Uh, we got started just a few minutes ago. Already stirring up some comments, Peter, from yeah. our uh, listeners and viewers. Yes, indeed. We're on Twitter at BP Show, at BP Show. You can find us there. Uh, let's say, let's start out with Vulcan Bard says, uh, Bill, when the impact uh -oh. of the Russian interference is fully recognized, Trump's presidency will be illegitimate, and the American people will reverse everything that he and his crooked crew has done, including Mitch McConnell and Paul Ryan. I hope they serve time. In the worst private prisons. <laughs> That's a double ouch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. seriously. Uh, Romaine, we were talking about Carter Page. He says, I don't know. It looks like Carter Play Page is a plant. That is uh, certainly one theory. We talked about the places where the Democrats might be having their uh, convention. Jess oh, yeah. wanted to point out that Milwaukee is actually not purple at all. Wisconsin, of course, uh, Wisconsin is, is. Purple, Yeah, Milwaukee, I was talking about Wisconsin, purple state. Yeah, 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 yeah. But they just wanted to make clear that you knew that Milwaukee is not not a purple uh, city. Uh, if you have a comment, find us on Twitter, at BP Show, at BP Show. We'd love to hear from you. You know, it's funny. I've got all of Donald Trump's tweets. I can't find the one that he sent out at 1120. Ah, with the all caps one? With the all caps. Here it is. Yeah. Here it is. Uh, the president at 1124 last night, which is late for him. That's right? true. Usually it's early tweets, not yeah, late tweets. Yeah. yeah. Oh, all he's, caps. Done, he's done both because he's up early this morning, too. Oh, yeah. All caps. Never, ever threaten the United States again or you will suffer consequences the likes of which few throughout history have ever suffered before. We are no longer a country that will stand for your demented words of violence and death. Be cautious. Doesn't that sound exactly like what he was saying to Kim Jong-un a year ago? Sure. I mean, this is this is vintage what do we think classic about this? Uh, Donald Trump. I mean, I, not much. I mean, I think that this is just, uh, you know, he... 
is a saber rattler. Um, you know, this is to be expected. I don't necessarily think it's, uh, you know, some kind of a uh, actual threat that itself into anything more than, you know, a tweet, because, you know, ultimately, Donald Trump is about tough talk. You know, that's what he does. And this is that's all this is. And it was provoked by something else that I guess the leader of Iran had said about, I I don't know, something about a lion's tail. I don't I don't know. Some kind of, you know, analogy. He just just sort of made some comment. If you pull the lion's tail, the lion could turn around, bite you or something like that. Yeah. Well, I mean, so, you know, look, you, you what what else is new? You threaten Donald Trump, he's going to go hard on a tweet. Uh, and I don't think much more of it. But, but that is interesting. You're right. He is the man of tough talk, right? But he gets up alongside of Vladimir Putin, don't and he started. climbs in his lap and purrs. You know, well, what's Dr. up with Eagle. that? <laughs> yeah, 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 right. Uh, look, I mean, it, Vladimir Putin is a, is a real-life Bond villain. Um, the man is, is, can't be trusted. Um, and, and look, there's no question in my mind that this is coming from Europe. Like I was there for five weeks and it was fascinating to see, um, you know, I'd left right around the time of the G7 summit. So here was, you know, here's Donald Trump at G7, gets on a plane to see Kim Jong-un, goes crazy on Justin Trudeau, you know, Canada hosted the G7, pulls out of the G7 memo. Um, Then you fast forward to the NATO summit. He goes crazy on Angela Merkel. He's, you know, throwing around threats, basically saying if you don't meet, you know, certain spending targets by January, I may pull out of NATO, um, triggering, uh, you know, a, a an emergency meeting of NATO members. Um, Then he goes to the UK plays games with uh, Theresa May, uh, the UK being one of our strongest and longest allies, obviously the special relationship. He's like, you're playing games with with Brexit. P.S. Boris Johnson would basically be a better prime minister than you. And then he goes to Russia and, you know, it's all cool. Helsinki, it's all, yeah. But, yeah. I'm sorry. Excuse right. me. He yeah. goes to Finland. He meets with the, with, with Vladimir yeah. Putin. And uh, and it's and it's all, you know, happy times. And, and I, I think that for me, that juxtaposition um, really says, um, you know, is the 20th century alliance that kept, the, you know, the the global alliance, um, you know, in the West, that balance, is it over? Because the United States is basically, you know, um, the weakest link, which is sad. Uh, and used to be the strongest, the strongest link. Exactly. Right. right. No. Is it over? Who knows? It's certainly uh, on hold, I'd say, while Donald Trump is in the White House. Well, and, and there's been some really interesting, if you guys are, are uh, if the listeners or, or you, Bill, if you haven't seen it, check out the Democracy Project, actually. It was, uh, they were commissioned by the uh, both the Biden and the George W. Bush foundations to do um, a survey on democracy um, here in the United States. And it's interesting to see there's a generational divide there about, you know, the value of, of democracy, living in a democracy. Um, but, uh, you know, a pretty big consensus that we are, um, you know, we've gone backwards um, hmm. as a leader, um, you know, as a democratic republic. And we've been downgraded for the last two years as a flawed democracy. Um, not a full democracy, and and that is a real a, a real shame. So you were in the UK when Donald Trump was there, right? I was okay. 
What was it like? I mean, in in being in London, he he wasn't in London that much himself. No, in in downtown London, at any rate. That's right. No, he was he was uh, out in Oxfordshire at Blenheim. Then he went up to uh, he went up to Scotland, obviously after that. But and then he, he, was he out says in the, the people of uh, the the UK love him. I'm not so sure about that. Um, <laughs> I, I you know there was you know tens of thousands of people in Trafalgar Square, and I was actually at Parliament the day of those. Uh, the protests. Did you see the baby balloon? I did see the the baby balloon, and I will tell you, it's re- it was very small. Really? But, um, uh, I, it was really small, but, huh. um, you know, the, the protests were very orderly. Um, you know, there were a lot of, um, you know, dry British humor uh, signs. signs. One, one of my favorite was, um, Ikea has better cabinets than you. Um, the other one, one of the other ones, which was classic Britain, was uh, Donald Trump, you're the dustman, the bin man, otherwise known as, you know, you're yeah. a trash collector. Uh, so, I mean, but it was very orderly. It was not violent. Um, but I think that, you know, the dissent comes from the fact that uh, people in Britain feel that at least the American leadership no longer shares their values. Well, he he trashed Angela, I mean, uh, Theresa May. Theresa May. At, at a that, time where Brexit, she's she's so weakened because Boris Johnson quit and um, uh, David Davis quit as well. So the the sort of coalition was falling apart. So she right. was very weakened. And she was, she so she came up with this idea that, okay, we can go forward with Brexit, but we're going to do so in a way we have some, whatever, they call it the soft, soft Brexit. Soft Brexit, yeah. Boris Johnson resigns and then, Donald Trump says, if she had taken my advice, everything would have been better. And Boris Johnson, by the way, he'll be back someday and he'd make a great prime minister, which is really pulling out the rug out from under her. Right. While she's in power. And, yeah, and- I, I sort of saw this one coming because as as I was there and I saw the before he had gotten uh, before Donald Trump had come from the NATO summit just earlier in the week, you know, these ministers had had resigned. And I thought to myself, you know, obviously this weakens Theresa May's position of any kind of uh, negotiating power because, you know, she's already weakened domestically. Um, there's a lot at stake, particularly with a bilateral trade agreement. Woody Johnson, our um, ambassador to the U.K., had said, well, we're not really sure what's going to happen with the bilateral trade agreement. So I kind of assumed once Donald Trump got to, to the U.K. that um, – mm-hmm. You know, there would be uh, she would be in a, in a weakened position. Right. Um, but he, he certainly um, left a bad taste in people's mouth. Uh, I mean, it was already there. Yeah, it was already there. I right. mean, the, the Europe um, is not a fan. And I think that there's a lot of anxiety, again, about where do does the United States stand with the traditional allies? Again, these post-World War II allies. And now the EU is looking, you know, are we going to go it alone? They're, they're negotiating, you know, with Japan, for example, with one of the largest trade deals. Um, and I think that there, at least for now, uh, a recognition or an assumption that the United States cannot be relied on. So Donald Trump came home. Uh, he's, he's in Helsinki. He says there in, in front of the world, we all saw it, uh, my intelligence uh, director tells me that Russia interfered in the 2016 election. My buddy Vlad here says they didn't, so I believe him. I don't believe Dan Coats. And he comes back and he gets a buzzsaw. Even re- so many Republicans even a were saying. A lot of Republicans and, and the media of all stripes. Yes, yes. I mean, look right. at Chris. I mean, Chris Wallace from Fox News 
did an excellent job cross-examining yes. Vladimir Putin. No, he did. He did. He really did. Handing him that document and yep. saying, take a look at this. Twelve military officers and Putin wouldn't even touch it, right? Yep. So you know, Donald Trump, he, he gets all the criticism. And then, so then he caves in and says, no, I just want everybody to understand. I do believe our intelligence agencies, right? Russia did try to do this. That was middle of the week, last week. Yeah. Yesterday, he comes out with another text text where he says, again, uh, here it is. President Obama knew about Russia before the election. Why didn't he do something about it? Why didn't he tell our campaign? He says, because it's all a big hoax. That's why. So now he's back saying it's all a hoax. So he just he just flips all over the place. Why doesn't he just accept the fact that Russia did try to interfere in the election in order to influence it so that to help him win? Because he doesn't want to delegitimize his victory. I mean, it, this is it's a very simple issue, I think, that has, you know, basically uh, unfortunately taken the rest of, um, you know, the United States and our foreign policy and, and everything else with it. I mean, I, Donald Trump does not want anything to delegitimize his, his election. Now, look, it doesn't really, to me, it doesn't really, um, Russia can interfere in the elections without having, number one, collusion, and number two, any, you know, actual direct impact on the outcome. They wanted to sow, you know, uncertainty and cause problems all on their own. And, and frankly, because, you know, Vladimir Putin hated Hillary Clinton. It's not necessarily that he loved Donald Trump. He hated Hillary Clinton. Um, and but they're, and they're still at it. So this isn't just I mean, Trump needs to get over it in the sense that, like, look, you won. OK, you know, Russia tried to meddle in the election. You have to accept that as fact, but he doesn't want to because he doesn't want anything to sully his victory. But I no, I agree with your analysis. But the problem is his refusal to recognize it, his refusal to condemn it, right, means that this issue will not go exactly. away. Exactly. Well, he it, is he. It, it's in the in the you know he's just stuck in the quicksand here. Well, and and, and I, it's his own. It's it's, it's his, his own doing. I mean, yeah. you know and. And, you know, if you look at you talk about the the inconsistencies and I was I've been trying to do a follow up article to the article I did for the Washington Examiner on um, Trump's visit to to Europe. And I keep like getting stuck because so many new things keep coming up as if, you know, trying to do a follow up article. So I was trying to, you know, do a chronology of all of the times that there was, you know, a back and forth. So, you know. Trump says he goes, he does that press conference. He's like, oh, it's a double negative. I didn't really mean it in the same sentence says, well, it could have been anybody else, too. You know, I mean, so, you know, and then he says then they have to go back the next day after, you know, reportedly Donald Trump saying, no, actually, I don't think they're still at it. But then. You know, Sarah Sanders yeah. says that he didn't mean no, pe- that Russia wasn't meddling. It was no, he didn't want to take any more questions. You know, then, you know, oh, poor I, Dan no. Coates gets, you know, caught with his pants down with Andrea Mitchell at the Aspen Institute, um, not knowing that um, Trump was going to potentially invite Vladimir Putin to Washington. I mean, it's just one thing after the next, after the next, after the next. And to the credit of the White House, for better or worse, they're trying to clean this up, but it's not working. Uh, no. 
Uh, look, I was, trying. The, I was at the briefing last Wednesday. It's not working because Donald Trump undercuts them every, That's every, right. every step so of the, the way. So you know, people every that are somewhat professional you know, uh, bureaucrats understand that understand politics keep trying to clean it up, and, and Donald Trump keeps uh, making it. Uh, all right. So you're a Republican running for—let's uh, uh, say let's, let's play this little game. You're, let's say you're a Republican. Pretend you're a Republican running for re-election this year to the, to the House or to the Senate, or you're running for the House or the Senate. Uh, and it's a, and in the midterms, and right in the middle of the midterms, in mid-September, Vladimir Putin comes to the White House God. for a summit. Um, I mean, isn't that sort of the the people, the, the, the Republicans, the death that, knell for every Republican running for office? Because you know, well, every Republican, no matter what they're running for, they could be running for dog catcher. They're going to be asked, "Do you think Vladimir Putin ought to be in the White House right now?" And do you think Donald Trump is manning up? Yeah, well, look, I mean, it's the worst when thing you think happen. about how much Republicans try to, you know, um, uh, lift up the um, the legacy of Ronald Reagan. My goodness. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, how can you say Ronald Reagan is great? Tear down this wall. And then in the same breath, think it's OK that the president of the United States is opening the doors to a man who was a KGB agent and, frankly, cut out of the same cloth as Lenin as a Russian supremacist. It's I don't know how they do it. I mean, and it's it, I think it, it they they, I mean, they all I feel bad because they have to walk a fine line because people yep. love Trump, but at the same time, I, I th- frankly, I think a lot of people don't even care. The voters in the middle of the country actually don't care about Vladimir Putin. I we care. Um, but I feel like they don't care. I feel like the people in Ohio are like, you know, they're they care more about the economy than than all of this mess. I, I actually kind of agree with that, but I also think that Democrats can make voters care if you can make the case, like you were saying about the Reagan thing, right? These these this is a party that idolizes Ronald Reagan, right? right? Because he would go over and say these strong things to bad people to their face, and you've got the exact opposite now. The Republican Party has also spent 50 years building up and painting Russia as our greatest, as the greatest yes, threat absolutely. facing the United States. And for, for them to turn and suddenly say he's our best friend doesn't work. I don't think it works. I, 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 it's it's going to be hard. But, I, mean, I think it's a landmine. It is, but I think that there is still a disconnect um, between, you know, the outrage. And I think that, you know, all of this, like, it's but, fake news and the liberals have their hair on fire. I, I think that people, you know, Democrats, we have to be smarter about how we attack this sort of thing. You know, it's like we talk about treason. And and then all of a sudden people shut down. You know, it's like, oh, we're just trying to play political games. You know, now th- I mean, there is so much wrong with the relationship. The, you know, you talk about tough talk. Donald Trump had tough talk for ev- for every one of our allies. Justin Trudeau, Angela Merkel, yeah, all right, of NATO, right. uh, you know, Theresa May. And again, that that juxtaposition is what really got me. Now, you uh, still, uh, I see you still occasionally pop up on Fox. You're a contributor, and I'm not sure not not, okay. not technically okay. contributor, but I'm uh, on all the but time. But you're on. Okay. So maybe you can tell us, uh, what's up with Kimberly Guilfoyle? Um, I have no idea, and I, I have nothing to say so about she, that. She's, no, you, you can't have nothing to say. So she's leaving Fox. She's been on the Five, right? right. She's been a regular on the Five. Former... 
wife of Gavin uh, Newsom, Gaz- who's going yeah. to be the next governor of yep. of uh, California, and she's leaving Fox, and she's taking a job with the America First PAC, Look, which is what I have, which to is say- the Donald Trump. What I think Real is, I think this is what I what I will say about this is that Fox has a, has a new leader who is a woman, and I think that um, you know the uh, conflict became too much um, for the network, and I think that they did the right thing. Whether it was Kimberly Guilfoyle's idea or not, because she's dating Donald Jr. Yeah, they. I mean, you. You know, I don't care what people do in their personal life, but when you start to bleed those two things together, where, you know, these things are on Instagram and Twitter, where you're at the White House and he's on set, and Donald Trump's on set with Kimberly Guilfoyle, and I think that the network recognized that the conflict was too much. Maybe Kimberly Guilfoyle recognized that the conflict was too much. The right thing to do at that point, if you are unwilling to separate your professional life from your personal, is to walk away from. One of them. And, you know, she obviously chose her relationship. And um, I I commend Fox in this regard for, you know, um, recognizing that that conflict was, uh, you know, a serious one. Right. Um, The sitting in that right that chair where where you are uh, about two weeks ago, uh, the chairman of the Democratic National Committee, Tom Perez, Mm -hmm. Uh, I asked him about um, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez, who beat Joe Crowley uh, in up in up in Queens, and she's a Democratic nominee now for that congressional district. What he thought about her race, and he said uh, that uh, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez. I have a hard problem. With I know everybody does. Me too. <laughs> uh, a what shall we call her? AOC. <laughs> that AOC is the future of the Democratic Party. Do you agree? Um, maybe for, you know, Brooklyn and uh, or the Bronx and Queens. Um, but, I, you know, really just but, one district. I, I think there's a few things here. I mean, there's no question that there is a uh, there's a divide within the Democratic Party between the rise of the democratic socialists, you know, they, that are, you know, continued to be organized by, um, you know, I think they were, uh, you know, in, in ignited by Bernie Sanders. And in certain parts of the country in particular, um, they're very well organized. Why do you call them socialists and not progressives? Well, uh, she identifies as a democratic socialist, as do, I mean, so there's the, the D, like, that's how many of them you know, identify. So I'm not making that up. I'm not necessarily calling her a socialist as a, you know, um, a bad thing or trying to disparage her. But, you know, she has said she's a democratic socialist that, you know, uh, a lot of the organizing around Bernie Sanders, the democratic socialists. Um, and, and so I think that in some places, uh, you know, number one, she beat Joe Crowley because I think there was a frustration with the, with the establishment leadership that's been in Washington for too long. But again, I don't think that uh, AOC for could win in a place like Ohio. You know, you like, let's let's turn let's flip the script for a minute. Connor Lamb was just four months ago was the future of the Democratic Party. So you can't like so Connor Lamb and, you know, Cortez are two polar opposite Candidates, I think this says that the Democratic Party's path to success is uh, tailoring and matching 
the right candidates that reflect the values of the district. Well, uh, so AOC was out in Kansas over the weekend with Bernie Sanders, right? Uh, supporting uh, James Thompson, I think his name is, who's a congressional candidate out there. Uh, she, Notice she her, didn't come to Ohio for Danny O'Connor. Well, not yet. I mean, maybe she will. I mean, we'll see. she can't be. Uh, th- 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 well, it's to a, it's, condemn it's her a... for one uh, place she didn't go is kind of. Well, no, no, for point. But though, I, that... I just want. So, so she says, uh, we can listen to her real quickly here. Yeah. What this moment requires of us is for everyday people to do more than they have ever done before to reclaim the soul of this nation. So we just have a few That's seconds just unfair. Yeah, I mean, and, and I mean, she, look, she's young, she's a woman, she's Latina, she's progressive. I think that plays in a lot of parts of the country. Um, it, well, it, it, I think it plays in, in many parts of the country that are probably going to get more congressional districts after the 2020 census. Um, but it's not going to play. It's right. not going to play in Peoria. Thank you for coming in. Thank you. Always good to see you. John Absolutely. Allen joins us next this from NBC News. the Bill Press Show. Hey, friends. Don't be a stranger. Keep up to date with all of the Bill Press Show happenings around the clock on social media. Here's how. You can follow us on Twitter at BP Show. Or on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash Bill Press Show. And on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And remember, if you haven't already done so, make sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. And while you're there, please rate and review the show. That means a lot to us. And thanks so much for your support. Everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show. Live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. All right. Last week he said uh, he believes that the Russians interfered in the election. And this weekend he says, no, it's all a hoax. Make up your mind, Donald. Hello, everybody. What do you say? It is Monday, July 23rd. So good to see you today. Thank you for joining us. The Bill Press Show live from our nation's capital. Booming out to you all across this great land of ours from our studio on Capitol Hill. Hope you had a good weekend. Great to see you today, and thanks for uh, climbing on board to help us through the uh, news of the day. Nobody better than a good friend from NBC News. Fresh back from Helsinki. I mean, you know, Capri Kafaro just got back here from the U.K. You are just back from Helsinki. Hello, John. Good to see you. It's good to see you. Um, you know, she went to see uh, the World Cup, and she went and saw Ozzy Osbourne and a bunch of other shows. <laughs> I, I saw the Trump show. You saw the Trump Speaking show. of which, uh, in my hot hands right now, and I would call them little hands, but uh, that's so loaded now. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, I have this advanced reader copy of Trump Must Go, the top 100 reasons to dump Trump and want to keep him by one bill press. Guys, does that work to put it up in front <laughs> of the camera like that? Yeah. So, or you can just turn it. You around put out a book it. every five weeks. <laughs> well, this is the hardest working man in show business. <laughs> I hope that your listeners and viewers appreciate just how much work you do outside the studio. This comes out sep- uh, mid September. Uh, my my next book, um, but the the last book from the left, A Life in the Crossfire, is still. Uh, worth talking about, too. <laughs> but this is the next one, and uh, it's a lot of fun. But let me tell you, you know what? This book wrote itself, right? I mean, every day. You could write this 100 Reasons 
on a daily basis. So, uh, well, you could write a hundred reasons. On a daily basis. <laughs> no, Donald Trump could. <laughs> exactly. Anyhow, great to have you with us. We've got lots and lots to talk about uh, regarding the man Donald Trump and other stuff in the news, which we will jump right into and look forward to hearing from you and your comments on Twitter at BP Show. But first. This is the Full Court Press. All right. Peter just, has to go first. Yes, indeed. Just a couple of the stories making news. You know, the British Open was over the weekend. And for a brief yes. shining moment, I, it looked like Tiger Woods was back, baby. I know, I know. He was in the lead. Then he just completely fell apart on the back nine. He finished even yesterday. Uh, but he finished five under for the whole tournament, which means he was tied for six place Francesco Molinari from Italy ended up winning the whole British Open he finished at eight under par just to show you how close Tiger Woods came he finished at five under par so if he just had a couple of decent holes yesterday on the back nine he would have been your British Open champion which would have been the first major that he had won in a very very long time so is Tiger Woods back who knows? We'll have to wait until the next tournament to see. But uh, he came damn close over this past weekend. I know you're a big fan. I of didn't know this Molinari who won. But I'm not familiar. I'm, I don't. I don't follow enough to know. New star. I, I yeah. think we all hope that karma's not exactly as tied to our acts as uh, Tiger Woods' karma seems to be tied to. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Seriously. Uh, <laughs> seriously. Uh, you're a big fan of the the Trump baby balloon, right? We talked about that. The baby blimp. The baby blimp that was yeah. there. Well, there is also another whole series of inflatable Trump items: the Trump chicken. There is a chicken that has the hair of Donald Trump and sort of uh, some of the characteristics of Donald Trump. So over the weekend, it took sail, set sail in San Francisco Bay, the Where Trump else? chicken. It's a 33-foot inflatable Trump chicken. <laughs> they put it on a boat and took it out uh, in the San Francisco Bay. Uh, it is labeled as Prisoner 45. <laughs> We saw it, by the way, last April at the San Francisco Tax March. I remember seeing pictures of the Trump chicken, oh. uh, but this time it, it relocated. Chicken, of the, chicken of the sea? Chicken of the sea. <laughs> chicken of the bay, I guess, anyway. <laughs> it sailed around Alcatraz Island, but again, with the symbolism of prisoners. Uh, so who knows where the Trump chicken will turn up next? Maybe it'll be here in Washington, D.C. I hope you know? we see one of those baby blimps in Lafayette Square. I mean, come on, right? I mean, it might be a traffic menace for all of us who have to like, try to drive through the city. This is the Bill Press Show. You bet it is the Bill Press Show on a Monday, Monday, July 23rd. Hello, hello. Great to see you and welcome to the program. We're coming to you live from Washington, D.C. We join you um, everywhere in this great country of ours, online, on YouTube.com, YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Joining you on Free Speech TV and out in the greater Chicago area, of course, on WCPT. Here with us, John Allen from NBC News. Uh, as our guest this uh, half hour, John, it's always good to see you. Thank good you for coming you, in. Uh, you, fresh back from Helsinki, the president over the weekend, tweeting out, quote, I had a great meeting with Putin, and the fake news used every bit of their energy to try and disparage it. So bad for our country. 
Um, most people wouldn't characterize it as a great meeting with Putin, would they? I think we don't know what happened in the meeting with Putin, the actual, the two-hour meeting with Putin. I mean, had the president of the United States come out and read that out to, say, the public or read it out to his own aides, uh, perhaps we'd have some idea other than the version that Russia has put out there in bits and pieces, uh, some idea of what was actually discussed. Uh, What people were judging was the press conference uh, where the president showed such um, unusual deference to President Putin. I mean, there was that piece of it, right? The sort of, um, you know, uh, the critics would say kneeling at the feet of Mother Russia aspect of it. And then, uh, you know, on the other hand, you had the president on foreign soil in the shadow of Moscow uh, slamming American citizens, bashing his own countrymen. Um, this is really, uh, I'm at a loss for, for comparison. Um, and so sitting in that room where Putin and Trump met, the only thing you could really judge, uh, you know, by judge what had happened by was this uh, unusual doesn't begin to describe a press conference. Right. At the beginning of that press conference, Putin went first. Uh, and I have my notes. I don't have them right here with me. But he he detailed. He went through a whole list of topics that they had talked about. Uh, and Donald Trump really didn't do that at all, right? His opening remarks were pretty general about we had a good meeting and this, and we it's better to talk than not talk and bum bum bum. But but I I was struck by with Putin. Yeah, we talked Syria, we talked North Korea, we had Was there any unpacking after that? It first, is there a transcript of that meeting? Um, not one that's readily available to any of us. <laughs> Do you I assume da- the Kremlin has a transcript of that meeting, and I wouldn't be surprised that the United States does too, either through having uh, wiretap the room or uh, through signals intelligence or something like that. I mean, you know, the, yeah. the I, odds that we, the, right. the odds that our side has a pretty good idea of what uh, went on there are pretty good. Right. Um, and, and, but, and, but not from the, the lips that, of the president. No. Right. And, I mean, that's. And the odds that Putin was wired are pretty good too, or somehow, right? Right. I, yeah. The Kremlin knows what happened. Yeah. Because yeah. they know how to do diplomacy. So, so uh, I mean, they yeah. know they've, th- this isn't their first rodeo. Yeah, <laughs> true. Now, so one would think that in any other administration, uh, that coming out of the one-on-one, which is dangerous maybe to begin with, that the president would sit down with Mattis, with Pompeo, with Dan Coats, with John Kelly and say, okay, here's what we talked about, and here's what he wanted, here's what I said, here's the da-da. Did that happen? Uh, not not like that, it doesn't sound like. I mean, there was uh, there so, there have been some. I mean, look, I don't know what the president said to these guys individually. Yeah. It is clear that the national, the director of national intelligence, Dan Coats, has been surprised by several revelations since then, up to and including uh, the president inviting President Putin to Washington. Right, and from what we've what's been reported, your network and others, is that James Mattis is not really sure what they agreed to, for example, to do with Russia in Syria. Right. I mean, it's a guessing game. And and look, advantage Kremlin. Um, you know, that not only uh, do they have the only, not only are they the only, they the only ones who seem to know exactly what went on in the room, but 
uh, they're the only ones talking about it, and that gives them an opportunity to emphasize the uh, pieces of whatever they talked about that they want to and de-emphasize those that they don't. Uh, you pointed out Putin went through the list of uh, items yep. that were discussed. One of them was cr- his seizure of Crimea, yeah. uh, where he right. says the president you know, challenged me on that. Well, we'll, we'll agree to disagree. Um, you know, and that saved President Trump from having to answer questions about him basically saying, look, we're not we're not getting involved in Crimea. And there are um, there are any number of reasons that the that U.S. action with regard to Crimea would be limited to sanctions, other forms of pressure. I mean, it, the U.S. isn't going to invade Russia to to protect Crimea. Um, it does, we don't have a mutual defense pact with with Ukraine or, you know, so I think um I think it was odd that President Trump couldn't even go that far. He couldn't even talk about the you know his reasoning. And look, this well, is the bigger thing. He doesn't talk about his reasoning for any of this. What we see is him fracturing relationships with uh, with NATO, which has protected Europe from war for seventy years. Uh, not only war against Russia, not only war between Russia and the other states, but the other states amongst themselves. The history of Europe is uh, a bunch of small nations heavily armed fighting each other and they haven't been doing it for 70 years so we're break we're breaking apart from that alliance and we're getting closer to russia and the president refuses to explain it in any terms other than they're a nuclear power we're a nuclear power right 90 percent of the world's nuclear power so um one thing that gets lost in that about that news conference uh but i thought was pretty stunning is that putin president putin acknowledged that, yes, he wanted Donald Trump to win the election because it would have been a better deal for Russia. Right. <laughs> Which says a lot. Yes. Uh, uh, right? <laughs> right. I mean, we, we knew that to be the case. Yes. But right. for him to admit it so brazenly and boldly uh, suggests that he doesn't believe that there are going to be any repercussions. Right. Uh, now, he did answer that question. The question he didn't uh, answer was the other—I thought the, <laughs> the biggest stunner of the news conference was, do you have any compromising material on President Trump? Uh, he he sort of tried to laugh that off. Uh, yesterday, Adam Schiff, the ranking Democrat on the House Intelligence Committee, uh, raised that question. He was on this week with George Stephanopoulos. I certainly think he's acting like someone who's compromised, uh, and it may very well be that he is compromised, or it may very well be that he believes that he's compromised, that the Russians have information on him. You know, it's not too big a stretch, is it? I mean, you have to wonder. What would the thing be that the Russians have on Donald Trump that would be so big that he would be ashamed of it? There's so little he seems to be ashamed of. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I mean no, that seriously. Yes, uh, yeah, I, yeah, right. I think that I think that Congressman Schiff is smart to talk about that in terms of behaving like someone who is compromised because we really yeah. don't know. Right. Uh, but you make the the great point, Bill, that uh, Vladimir Putin declined to answer whether he has compromising information on Trump. Now, if he didn't have it, it would make sense for him to decline to answer that question uh, because he's trying to sow discord in the United States um, and because uh, he would like President Trump to think that he has something on him, even if he doesn't. Um, you know, the, the way to know uh, the, the way to know that there's no compromising information on you, Bill, is to live like you once did as a monk. <laughs> <laughs> But let me tell you, when I w- w- was on a trip to my first trip to Moscow as a journalist, I just assumed, and I think everybody can, that in every, every, I mean, the idea that Russia would have microphones or cameras hidden in a hotel room, 
particularly if you're an important person, right? That's that's not hard to believe. In fact, that's that's a fact. Right. <laughs> yeah. I Don't mean, we I, all operate I, at the knowing, the expecting that from this? Yeah. Regime? I mean, it's uh, yeah. But you know, also Donald Trump had a different set of um, imperatives earlier in his life, right? I mean, he was not somebody, unlike most people who ascend in political office in our country, he was yeah. not somebody who thought of himself as somebody who would ascend in political right. office. He right. did not uh, point his but, whole career toward it. So, no, but he still was a powerful businessman that they wanted to make deals with. But I think his, I think his fans uh, have, a, have a point in terms of not dismissing everything that he's done, because some of it is... In, like yeah. you know, nothing that any human being should do. But I mean, some of the stuff, you know, yeah. the divorces and um, you know, uh, and and you know, extramarital affairs and things like that. I mean, this is not somebody who was pointed toward running for president. And um, and and in some ways, it's a good thing that uh, we have people who are human beings um, broadly. <laughs> yeah. Well, which raises the question, really, of uh, like, so what? If so, we talk about. The, the the news conference, which I believe most people feel, even most Republicans, was a disaster. Well, Republican leaders here, a disaster. And yet, uh, as, uh, according to the latest, sorry to mention that your uh, competition, the CBS poll. Oh, there's a new NBC Wall Street Journal poll oh, out, good. by the way. All right. For, for well, mate, do, I don't know what it says yet. That. I haven't read it. But, okay. <laughs> but according to that poll, 68% of Republicans say, great job in Helsinki. So we can talk about this. People can, can complain about it. Looks bad. He gave away the store. Uh, it hasn't affected his approval rating or his standing with with Republicans at all. I look I look at right? that differently. I think there's a universe of people who support Donald Trump who think he did a bad job. Um, you know, if you look at his support numbers among percent approve, right? But if you look at his support number, broad support, general support approval rating among Republicans, it's in the 80s. Sometimes yes, it's 90. Right. So 68 percent is significantly <laughs> less than. No, I mean, that, I think it's important. Yeah, I think it's important okay, that there I, is a percentage way, of those right. people who look at it and say this guy got his lunch eaten. Yeah. And by the way, if you're a Republican and you're being asked by a pollster whether you think the president did a good job, yeah, there's a there's say. a bias there towards saying yes, even if you're not 100 percent sure. I mean, I always think. I always think presidential approval ratings are artificially high because Americans want to say I like, that they like yes. the president. Particularly members of his own party. Absolutely. Right? Yeah, right. So do you think – so let me ask you the, the, the flip question of that. Do you think that the president's performance and his whole handling of this Russian thing, it can hurt the Republican Party or is hurting it in, the, in these midterms? I mean, I think it all adds up. I mean, it all adds up to part of a picture potentially. And and look, whether the president uh, is compromised um, or not, whether he was colluding with Russia or not, uh, whether there was an obstruction of justice or not, uh, the plain facts are uh, he is taking a hammer to uh, the small L, small D, liberal Democratic world. Uh, and cozying up to autocrats and dictators. And um, I think he is trying to push the United States and the world in that direction. And that is clear. Uh, and that is uh, a real shift from what American values have been under Republican and Democratic presidents for a long time. Now, whether that benefits him come election time in 2020 or hurts him remains well, to be yeah. seen. But that's a real the, the, the that I'm really test the for the American people is should they do they want. 
but, the America we used to have or a much different America? But I'm, I'm looking at short term, shorter term, which is in 2018. Is this all going to have a positive or a negative impact on Republican efforts at every level in 2018? Uh, look, I continue to believe the Democrats have an advantage in the midterms, um, but I don't believe they're at the place right now where they're going to run away with the midterms. I don't think they've shown yet that they're going to uh, win control of the House. I think they, the, you know, the Senate is a, an uphill climb for them. Well, well, let's let's look specifically at sep- mid September, twenty eighteen, this year, and you just alluded to it. Donald Trump's going to be entertaining Vladimir Putin in the White House. Yeah, I think. Uh, now, I how think, does that impact Russian uh, Republican electoral hopes? I, I think it's a political mistake for him. Uh, th- look, the reason it's a political mistake. I'm sure he didn't connect September midterms. He doesn't give a damn. Uh, I think he views everything through electoral prisms, but they're the electoral prisms of his own re-election. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, so I'm not sure that he is bothered by the loss of, of the House. In fact, if they lose the House, uh, it might be that that helps him win re-election. I mean, and all this stuff is hard to predict. But I would say, uh, I don't think it helps I him to have... I just have to say, he'd better be bothered if, about Democrats winning the House, because I think it's going to be hell for him if they do. Uh, but... At any rate, that's it. But he likes to play the victim. So the easier it is to play the victim, the easier it is for him to run in a comfortable space for 2020. Uh, And by the way, uh, Democrats will need, you know, uh, what, 20 Republican senators, something like that, uh, you know, depending on what the actual math is over there, uh, to actually, like, remove him from office. So that's not something that's going to happen. But there could be a lot of talk about it, and that, that could put him in a position of... Uh, playing the victim, which he likes to do. He loves to play the victim. Right. He he causes he's, problems and then says he's the victim of them. Right. Don't you find it... It's like watching Duke basketball. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's stunning when you think about that. This is a president who was... Uh, he, he, I mean, he, he was the, the least Republican of the 16 or 17 Republicans running. You know, it basically his party... The, the Republican Party did everything they could to knock him off the stage, to disown him, and yet he beat them all, and he becomes a nominee. And today, 88% of two years, a year and a half later, 88% of Republicans support him. I mean, you have to give him credit for that, right? Uh, well, yeah, I mean, well, first of all, I think the Republican Party has a hierarchical kind of order to it, right? They they, right. they tend to fall in line, but they fall in line more with Donald Trump than with anybody else. And I, you know, I think that what's amazing is the degree to which American public has basically become disgusted with both of its political parties. That members of the parties are disgusted by the political parties, and I think part of that is uh, the gridlock. Um, I see the left looking at uh, government as an impediment to more government. And the right looking at government as an impediment to less government. Uh, but they're all angry at the government. And they are all angry at the institutions. And they are all angry at the political parties. Almost all. Not right. all. Yeah. Um, and I think also part of that is the opening up of money to outside groups, which work outside the political parties and make it harder for the political parties to have a voice and to communicate with their own voters. Well, that gets me to what I wanted to add. That, that's a perfect transition to what I wanted to ask you about, which, as I'm sure you saw, Alexander Burns, front page in New York Times yesterday um, with an article. But I've seen the same, basically, same argument made by others. And that is the Democratic Party faces this very serious problem today, which is 
that these progressives like Alexandria or Ocasio-Cortez. Um, she's going to have to go by, by yeah, she's gonna have to get a, a, yeah, AOC or whatever. AOC. But that she she and Bernie and others are— Or trained. we're going to have to learn to say her name. It's probably That's the, right. <laughs> that they're taking the party too far to the left, right? And uh, it's just going to destroy the Democratic Party. Uh, do you see what, it that What way? Democratic Party? Yeah, right. I mean, what, define and the yet, Democratic as Party. As I mentioned right just to Capri Kafara earlier, sitting right in that chair, Tom Perez a couple of weeks ago told me, and it made a lot of news, that she is the future of the Democratic Party. And she was this weekend out with Bernie Sanders in Kansas, uh, of all places, um, where do we hear her again, Peter? Yeah, just a quick bite. What this moment requires of us is for everyday people to do more than they have ever done before to reclaim the soul of this nation. So, well, if you will, this energy on the progressive side, and we see it also from these organizations, whether it's Our Revolution or Indivisible or Run for Something or the Progressive Change Campaign Committee or MoveOn.org. I mean, they're out there. They've recruited more candidates this year. Most of them, a lot of them are women. They're millennials. And they're, if they're not full outright Bernie bros or Bernie sisters, right, they're running on a progressive platform. And some Democrats are nervous about that. Should should they be? So two things. Uh, one thing, uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez just there said, uh, everyday people. That was Hillary Clinton's <laughs> little hook for describing Americans, everyday people. Uh, so, you know, not everything here is all that different. Yeah. Um, I think what Democrats are go- going to have to get used to is that candidates like her— um, I am blanking Kara Kara Eastman. I'm blanking on the candidate in Omaha who uh, won a primary there um, in Nebraska. Mm-hmm. Uh, the progressive candidate who defeated the former congressman um, in a primary. Democrats are going to have to get used to the idea that if they want to win, they're going to have to win with candidates who were nominated by the progressive wing of the party. Um, that's not everywhere. Um, you know, the, the Democratic Party is different in different parts of the country. Right. But if the moderates want to be able to win, they're going to have to figure out how to help progressives who get nominated win House seats, win Senate seats, win state legislative seats, um, because that's the that's where the party is moving right now. Right. And if you if, if when I was looking at like she calls herself a Democratic Socialist. OK, but if you look at what she was running on. It was Medicare for all, right? Tuition-free college education, uh, prison reform, sentencing reform, climate change. Basically, it was the Bernie Sanders platform, right? I mean, it, uh, yeah, she, uh, she wasn't saying we have to nationalize the oil companies or nationalize the banks, right? right. Or, and it, it wasn't that. It's not that radical, right? I mean, it almost might help the uh, Democrats to have a sister soldier. Uh, candidate on the far left that they could push back on and say, well, no, we're not doing that. We're, we're not, not nationalizing we're not going. the banks. Yeah, we're not good. Right. We're not good. We could go so much farther. Um, no, I mean, I, look, the, the basic differences between Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton by the time you had a Democratic Party platform were pretty small. Um, and, and that's part of the reason that the and nobody wants to hear that the Clinton people don't want to hear that the Sanders people don't want to hear that. But they right. came up with a pretty progressive uh, platform that is uh, still 
applicable to both uh, Ocasio-Cortez and uh, to many of the moderate Democrats. And by the way, the whole idea of moderate and liberal um, should be somewhat rethought because of, and maybe framed in older terms, because of what we saw with President Trump. President Trump uh, had some some protectionist ideas that that feel kind of like uh, like unions, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. He had some uh, he had some some that I think you know dovetail uh, some with with sort of democratic farm labor ideas. Not anymore. I mean, there were maybe the, the farmers after, are getting pounded. Not now. after the tariffs. Yeah. Right. Right. But I think if you look at you know what is a what is a Democrat in you know in Minnesota in rural Minnesota or in you know outside of Duluth it is it, that person may be more progressive on certain uh, economic issues uh, might see themselves as more aligned with the issue set of a of somebody who describes himself as a democratic socialist than uh, does you know someone in Manhattan. What does the choice of where a party holds its convention have to do with the results of the presidential election, if anything? So we, <laughs> uh, we now know Republicans have decided they're going to Charlotte, North Carolina, where Barack Obama took the Democratic Party in 2012. Yeah, they want to reclaim North Carolina. They have it, don't they? Yeah, but I mean, this is a this is an area like if you look at where the border wars are being fought, right? You know, the Democrats yeah. have basically taken Virginia at this point. North right. Carolina has become competitive, uh, and because the Republicans Barack want Obama, to draw a line. Barack there. Obama won it, and then he lost it, and so it's up for grabs. Right, and you've got a Democratic governor there right now, Roy Cooper. Right, mm-hmm. so you've got. Uh, You've got basically Republicans are drawing a line there, I think, and saying this is, I mean, but Democrats had their convention in Philadelphia and lost Pennsylvania. Um, You know, I I think ideally, I think ideally you find a city that can handle a convention in a state that you think you might be able to win by being there. Frankly, I think all conventions ought to be in New York. Uh, the best conventions I've been to were in New York because it's, 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 there's so many hotels and so much going well, on. You can do other stuff. And you can do if other you stuff. if you have yes. to be confined yes. to what's going on at a convention, it kind of stinks. It does. It's yeah. just like your you know retailer wholesaler convention in so the uh, Democrat, Dallas. So the, <laughs> no offense to retailers, wholesalers, or the city of Dallas. The Democrats are looking at Houston, Milwaukee, or Miami Beach. All right, let me hear that again. Houston, Milwaukee, or Miami Beach? Uh, So Houston in the summertime seems like a bad idea. Plus, Texas, really? I mean, you know, Beto O'Rourke really believes he's going (laughs) to win and become the next senator, and and you couldn't ask for for more opportunity than to have Ted Cruz as your opponent. Um, you know, to to run a race with a, you know, to have a broad swath of ideology, you know, he could pin. But this is for twenty twenty, not not this year. Yeah, Houston but. is also not a super walkable city. You know, like it's hotter. It's hot, than hell. It's really spread yeah. out. Yeah. yeah, humid. I mean, why? You know, like why not just have it in Washington? <laughs> <laughs> right, right. The swamp convention. I mean, of course they will have it in Houston because. Uh, They'll choose the most <laughs> the most awful place to be. Uh, in, no offense to Houston, Miami. Man, I've hit Dallas and Houston yeah. in the last five minutes. Miami wouldn't be bad for the Democrats. I mean, you know, Florida. You get to go to the beach. Yeah, it's hot out, but you can go to the beach. <laughs> and Florida's maybe a little more within more in reach than. Well, you go to Milwaukee, and you're playing a home game in theory. You're right. You're in Wisconsin, but Wisconsin has 
become much more Republican this, right. over yeah. time. Yeah. And you're going to have... It's not Milwaukee. Milwaukee you're going to have protests and you're going to have clashing. I mean, you can see like Chicago happen all over... 68 <laughs> happen all over again in Milwaukee. Maybe they ought to go back... To, are you saying maybe they ought to go back to Philadelphia? <laughs> uh, now I like Miami Beach. Sounds nice. <laughs> I root for nothing, but I do. I do worry about the uh, safety of all the people covering that convention and attending that convention if it's in, held in Houston in July or August. Okay, I think we've agreed on that. There's That's why not. they had the first big dome stadium, the Astrodome, yeah. so they could play baseball inside because no one could be outside. I'm pretty sure I went to one Republican convention in Houston. I think it's yeah. George yeah. W. Bush. Yeah. yeah, right where Pat Buchanan gave that famous uh, radical speech. Yeah. Okay. No, I don't want to go back. <laughs> it's Bad good to memories, see you. Man. Good to see you, Bill. <laughs> good to see you. Thanks for coming in. You can follow uh, John, of course, at NBC.com, right? NBCnews.com. NBCnews.com. John Allen. And coming up next, Jessica Schulberg from HuffPost, uh, foreign policy reporter for Huffington Post, here next on The Bill Press Show. Quick break, and we'll be right back. Live video, Bill's commentary, the best clips from the show, all in one place. YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And on a Monday, July 23rd here, The Bill Press Show, live from our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., Brought to you today by the Laborers International Union of North America, those good men and women of the Laborers Union under President Terry O'Sullivan. Uh, building a Better America, and that's their website, liuna, L-I-U-N-A, buildsamerica.org. Uh, check it out. And we certainly thank them for their good work and their support of the program. And welcome to our studio, Jessica Schulberg, who is with HuffPost, uh, covering uh, foreign policy and national security issues, and boy, uh, they are dominating the news uh, these days. Hello, Jessica. It's good to see you. You too. Uh, and uh, Donald Trump is just re- tweeting again. He's been madly tweeting late last night and early this morning. Um, the latest is, mm, come on, pop up there. Here we go. When you hear the fake news... When you hear the fake news talking negatively about my meeting with President Putin and all that I gave up, remember, I gave up nothing, all caps. We merely talked about future benefits for both countries. Also, we got along very well, which is a good thing, except for the corrupt media. So for, it was a week ago, for a week He's been so defensive so about upset. any criticism of this meeting as being anything other than an A+. Plus. Uh, and most Republicans and most, I mean, most Americans and most Republican senators who've spoken about this think it was a total disaster. Yeah, I've been kind of surprised he hasn't just tried to move on past this one because... Yeah, I am too. This is this is just a couple of minutes ago he this put this up. This isn't helping him, you know? I mean, it was on live TV, him basically throwing his own country under the bus and telling a U.S. adversary, like, you're right. Like, whatever you say is right on, on live TV, you know? And then having that um, accompany a private one-on-one meeting with Putin, it sort of just leads people to speculate the worst. You know, we don't, we don't know what happened in that meeting. Some stuff has trickled out and... Uh, it's true that Trump, I guess, didn't uh, definitively give up anything, but the the deals that were even sort of floated and discussed in itself are, are pretty bad. Well, he also, uh, of course, this is a classic technique of his. 
is trying to turn this into an attack on the media. Mm -hmm. The enemy of the people. Right. But to the extent that the media have been reporting negative stuff about Helsinki, it's not just people in the media saying, I think it mm -hmm. was negative. There's the media reporting on what Mitch McConnell said, mm -hmm. Paul Ryan said, Orrin Hatt said, Marco Rubio said, go down the list. Also, the media probably would have moved on by now. I mean, the media has like a two to three day appetite for news, and a lot of things have happened since then, you know. Like, no, that's a good point. Yeah. But, well, that was last Monday. It was a full week I ago. I mean, God, that was Weekends a whole... happened. Like, we're ready to move on. That was a whole week ago. Right. You, have, you wouldn't expect us to have, yeah, have like, an attention... Yeah, you're still making me talk about Helsinki. Like, I don't even remember that. Have an attention span, right, that would uh, last a whole week. Yeah. But, but he won't let it go. Yeah. He won't let it go until everybody says this was the greatest moment of American diplomacy since, I don't know. Mm -hmm. John F. Kennedy or something, right? Which is so hard for me because I spent, you know, so many years into the Obama administration writing that Republicans should back off of Obama for having sort of um, not even friendly but like amicable overtures to the Iranians and, you know, sort of like during Nauru's saying, I hope you have a good holiday. And Republicans went nuts over that. And I would say, you know, is it really the worst thing in the world if the president of the United States is trying to at least have cordial relations with the U.S. adversary? Like, you really you really want us to be threatening to go to war with adversaries? And now that's basically Trump's argument. And it's like, well, like, the principle is right there, but your execution's a little off. <laughs> right. And so what are we to think about, uh, while we're on the subject of Trump tweets, his tweet late last night, 1124 last night, all caps. So many caps. Warning the president of Iran suddenly, boy, if you say anything or do anything unfriendly toward the United States, you're going to be wiped out. You're going to be suffer. You're going to suffer. Like no one's ever like seen Like no before. one in the history of the universe has ever Such suffered. Such a long tweet. Yeah. This is, again, like, it's kind of what he did with, with North Korea. Thre it's totally. He threatens totally. Nu nuclear war without actually saying nuclear but war. But the problem, yeah. too, is, yeah. like, now he looks at North Korea and he's like, see, it works. Like, I tweeted all this crazy yeah. stuff, and now the North Koreans are doing what I want, which they aren't, but that's definitely how he sees the world. Um, my favorite part about that tweet with Iran was... First of all, he was responding to a speech, presumably. It's hard to know what's going on in his head or what makes its way into his yeah. knowledge. But the most likely thing that he was responding to was Iranian President Rouhani was giving a speech. And he said something like, uh, let's keep in mind the U.S. pulled out of this international nuclear agreement in May. Um, and Rouhani has sort of been considering whether or not he wants to pull out as well or whether he can sort of work out a deal with the Europeans where he gets enough sanctions relief to stay in. Um, and kind of sticks it to the U.S. and says, right. like, look, you're going to go at it alone. So he said something about the U.S. being so threatening all the time and said, if you go to war with Iran, it will be, I think the translation was the mother of all wars. Yeah. Which is true. It would be a horrible war. Like, I'm not saying we would lose, but it would be a devastating, catastrophic, long war with lots of losses on both sides. Um, and my favorite part was when the Iranian news covered this. It's obviously all state-owned, but one of the descriptions was that Trump's tweets, especially in the early morning, <laughs> tend to be extremely like long-winded and violent. And I thought it was so funny that even in Iran, they've picked up that the early morning tweets are, are the craziest. Yeah. Uh, Executive time tweets. Right. <laughs> right. Post Fox and Friends tweets. But if I, you know, the cynic in me, when I saw that tweet toward uh, at, uh, President Rouhani was, okay, so... Um, 
a year from now, we'll be having, or sooner, a summit with Rouhani. And, <laughs> and uh, he will be his new best friend. It could happen. I mean, if, you, pretty, if you follow the pattern of, uh, of North Korea. Right. Right? I, he, I he, he went from wanting to wipe them out to this is a great, bold leader. I think the difference is that the Iranian government, whether it's Rouhani or whoever replaces him, will never I shouldn't say never because crazy things keep happening, but are so much less likely to even entertain the idea of humoring Trump. Like, I think the North Koreans, even though they'll never actually give in to the U.S. or succumb to the U.S. will, um, sort of know how to play this game. I don't I think the Iranians, so much of their national identity is being like the only country in the Middle East that hasn't just caved to U.S. or Saudi's sort mm-hmm. of vision of how the region operates. Um, that they can never really suck up to, okay. <laughs> to even get that all right. far. So, so let's forget all the uh, the the happy talk about uh, all the great things that were accomplished in Singapore. Mm-hmm. Uh, what what has happened since Singapore? I mean, what nothing what, good. <laughs> What real changes on the ground have happened? If anything, things that would sort of suggest the opposite. I mean, you'll recall that there is no real agreement that came out of Singapore. There was like a very vaguely worded statement that will work together. Um, And since then, it's been pretty clear that the North Koreans have no intention of denuclearizing. If anything, it looks like there's still work being done at sites that you would expect to either be shut down or paused if they really were. The one big site that they promised to shut down Mm -hmm. is still operating. Mm Uh, they haven't gotten rid of any of their nuclear weapons. Which, to be fair, they never really said they, didn't they would. Agree, no, and we they, didn't actually no, ask no, them no, to. It was I, like sort of like a in general, no, we'll work towards you're peace absolutely, and prosperity. You're, you're absolutely like, right. Um, the one thing I guess you could say is they haven't tested any new ones. They haven't Maybe because they don't need to, right? Mm -hmm. And that's sort of what North Korea experts who were former U.S. negotiators who've been going back and forth doing this, they call track to diplomacy, um, have been saying is that their whole game plan was to, you know, in this very aggressive way, test and develop nuclear weapons to such a point that they were sort of just on the cusp of it and they were confident enough in their technology um, it's kind of dangerous for countries to like openly have a nuclear weapons arsenal because it makes them a target. And as long as they have fewer nuclear weapons than the U.S., like it's not a great position to be in. Um, but being on this so-called breakout capacity, where you're sort of like right on the edge and you could walk across at any time, that's that's a pretty good place to be in because you can still say we don't have nuclear weapons. Like, don't look at us; we're not the problem. But if you make us mad enough, like, who knows what we'll do? Right. Um, so um, th- there's the North Korea side, and now we're dominated by all the talk of Russia, Vladimir Putin, Robert Mueller, and then suddenly pops up this woman that nobody had ever heard of before, Maria Butina. Tell yeah. us about her, and you know what's the story? She's fascinating. She came up in Russia as this guns rights activist. She's in her late 20s, 28, I believe. Yeah. Um, guns rights activist in Russia. Got like a little bit of media attention. I think there was a Rolling Stone profile of her, um, you know, long before Trump was president. I think the New Republic, Julia Yaffe, wrote about her and all about her effort to sort of create an NRA equivalent in Russia. Um, and then she ends up in the U.S., kind of under the radar. People don't really know goes to American University and enrolls in the same graduate school program that I went to. We were two years apart, and I'm so mad that she wasn't my classmate. Oh, wow. I know. Oh, whoa. a journalistic whoa. jackpot, but no. 
Um, we do have mutual. Are you now, or were you ever an agent of the <laughs> Russian government? Can't say. <laughs> um, I don't have enough guns. I don't think to to pull off whatever she's going for. But she cozies up to all these pretty influential people in the Republican Party. She ends up at the yeah. the national prayer breakfast. She's um, living with and maybe romantically involved with this guy named Paul Erickson, who's this sort of like Republican operator who we now know is incredibly in debt and maybe was also <laughs> hoping to get some things from her. And well, I thought her, it was pretty clear that they had a relationship. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I think oh. in the indictment she said something like, what was, I don't remember the exact words, but she definitely was was not enjoying their relationship. Oh. <laughs> was, was, was not? In- she saw it as part of her duties. Like oh, her oh I see. Okay. Um, yeah. And then meanwhile, her um, kind of advisor mentor back home is Alexander Torshin, who's this really prominent Russian oligarch um, who's sort of like he's, helping funding her and pulled the He's the, the guy who was supporting her, right? Right, exactly. And he also has ties to the NRA here. And so everyone's sort of been marveling at how it was so obvious for this young Russian woman to figure out how to like ingratiate herself to the Republicans, just get like really excited about guns, religion, and talk to all those power brokers, and she's in. And she was a Russian agent, I guess, pretty clearly. It does appear that way. That's what the indictment alleges. And did she have any contacts with the Trump campaign? Or was she part of that effort, do we know? I think it's unclear who specifically she talked to, but there definitely were indications that she was doing that type of outreach. Is she part of the Mueller investigation? Do we know? So the indictment came out. The indictment was separate from Robert Mueller, um, right? But I would find it very, very hard to believe that Mueller is not looking into her. I would wonder if the part of the reason to have a separate indictment, um, if there's like a legal strategy there. One who we know was somewhat related to the campaign, mm-hmm. uh, also back in the news. He just doesn't seem to go away like a bad penny keeps coming back. Is Carter Page? Love that guy. Okay. So this is a convoluted story. It's kind of hard to follow. But the Republicans claim that... So Carter Page was under surveillance by the FBI. Mm-hmm. We know that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and the Republicans claimed that he they got a FISA warrant against him only because they used the Christopher Steele dossier. Mm-hmm. So Donald Trump says, and we're going to prove it. We're going to... Re- I'm, going to o- I'm ordering the Justice Department to release the documents behind that FISA warrant. So they did release them on Friday. What do they show? Um, It shows that that was not true and that Carter Page is on the FBI's radar for many, many years, dating back to 2013, when he was suspected of um, being a target of recruitment by Russian spies um, and that they were sort of already monitoring his ongoings and thinking it was So long before Christopher Steele. Years, years, years before Christopher Steele. Um, Chris Steele did sort of kind of add weight or legitimacy to it, um, but the, do- or the the FISA application shows that it wasn't solely based on that. Right. And Christopher, St- I mean, uh, Carter Page, who cannot shut up, uh, goes on State of the Union yesterday, CNN, with uh, Jake Tapper, uh, and he says the whole thing is just one great big joke. No, I've ne- I've never been an agent of the foreign pol- uh, power in any by any stretch of the imagination. And yet, he did write a letter in 2013, right, where he called himself an informal advisor to the Russians. And he would put so himself he's playing, out there. So he's playing wor- a little word game here. Huh? Mm-hmm. And even I mean, like his uh, activism during the campaign in a very public way, he 
would say he was going to Russia, not as part of the Trump campaign, and he would deliver these speeches where he would say, U.S. sanctions against Russia are similar to police in the U.S. killing black people in Ferguson. It was like the most crazy analogies. And obviously, like, that's happening in public. That's being live streamed back to the U.S. You don't need a FISA warrant to be like, where is this guy coming up with these? I mean, even if you're a critic of U.S. foreign policy and against sort of like a hawkish outlook, that's just such a crazy um, comparison. Why hasn't he been indicted by Robert Mueller yet? And, and, or, and Maybe how, he's playing the long game. <laughs> <laughs> and Make him sweat. It, it, it does look like he has to be a target, right? I mean, I would, I would imagine. How could he not be? I would imagine. I mean, it might be just that they have bigger fish to fry. They don't think he's going to flip. They're sort of waiting to see what they want to do to him. It's been it's been very unclear to me the order of all of these targets. Or, or you know, they, they they may be just working on if they give him enough rope, he'll hang himself. Right. right? I mean, the more he there. keeps talking on TV, he, you know, he's not helping himself. He doesn't seem to have a lawyer. What was it, Peter? That uh, Chris he was with Chris Hayes. Right? <laughs> he, he's essentially you're either the most innocent man in the world, <laughs> or you're very, very, very dumb and very, very guilty because he just will not stop talking. Will not stop talking. Mm-hmm. And he's uh, suing um, Yahoo News, HuffPost. He's suing a bunch of media companies that have even written suggesting that he had anything to do with the Russians. Just acts like this is the most outrageous thing to write. When where could he have learned that? Yeah, <laughs> right. He's suing them? Yeah, right. Uh, Jessica Schulberg with us from HuffPost, HuffPost.com, of course. So one of the ideas that came up um, in this mysterious two-hour meeting between Donald Trump and Vladimir Putin was uh, that uh, we might share some intelligence with the Russians. Um, They would let us come in and talk to their 12 military officers. But, of course, there are some people in our country that they want their intelligence people to talk to, like former Ambassador Michael McFaul. And Donald Trump originally said... This sounds like a great deal. This, th- this is a very generous offer that Mr. Putin has made. Mm-hmm. Uh, <clears throat> that didn't go over so well, did it? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I should say that Putin is so good at kind of creating this false equivalence. He's all about um, what you do to me, we're going to do to you. Everything has to be reciprocal. So you've seen yeah, that even yeah. over the past two years, whenever we've kicked any diplomats out of Russia. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a tit for tat, or sorry, out of the U.S. It's a tit for tat. They do the same thing with our diplomats in Russia. Um, so I, when the idea comes up that like, oh, you know, our our investigators would sure like to talk to these twelve guys in your military intelligence unit who are accused of hacking the DNC server, he goes, oh yeah, of course, you know, we'd we'd like to talk to some of your guys too. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like you said, Mike McFall, the former ambassador to Russia, was one. Bill Browder, who's um, was a U.S. citizen, gave up his citizenship, made a lot of money in Russia. Uh, is now the enemy of Russia and helped pass these human rights sanctions against um, Russian oligarchs. He's another target. Um, People were really upset about Mike McFaul, though, because there's this whole idea that diplomats are supposed to have diplomatic immunity. You can go into countries that are maybe hostile to your home country, and you can sort of put yourself out there. You can take risks. You can do things that might upset the host country, like meet with opposition activists or criticize human rights abuses. And no diplomat would do that if they thought they were going to be vulnerable to the host government being like, you know what? So what we don't like that. We're going to arrest you. What did McFall do that pissed Putin off? Nothing. Nothing 
out of the ordinary for a U.S. diplomat. I mean, he he did criticize human rights abuses in Russia. He um, he did meet with opposition figures, which is part of his job. He did praise Bill Browder, the the person I just mentioned, who helped pass these sanctions against Russian officials that Putin really, really hates. Um, and he's written in his book that during his time in Russia, Putin and his allies just harassed him endlessly, like followed him, surveilled him. He would be going to watch his he, kid's soccer game and he would notice, you know, Russian agents following him around. Whoa. So Browder, I mean, it sounds like in in the way Putin operates that he's lucky to be alive. Yeah. I mean, he probably had Browder or McFall. He, both of them. Yeah, I mean, McFall probably had pretty good security on him. I would guess Browder right. can probably independently afford similar security with all the money he made in Russia. Um, but yeah, I'd, I'd say both men are definitely probably targets at this point. It sounds like Browder made the big mistake in Russia, which is you're, you can make a lot of money as Gotta long give as... give some of it to Putin. <laughs> exactly. As long as Putin gets his cut, right? Yeah. Browder's an interesting character. And what was his business? Um, he was a hedge fund guy, and so he... Uh, went to Russia um, years ago. In the early 2000s, he was actually very uh, praising of Putin. He was very dismissive of this idea that Putin was mm. not actually a good democratic leader. But then he made all this money. He made and all then... this money, got on the wrong side of Putin, um, got exiled, had already given up his U.S. citizenship, possibly to avoid paying taxes. Yeah. Um, now is based mm. in London, um, but he travels back and forth to the U.S. a lot and is very critical of Putin. There were um, many people who suggested uh, after the uh, Helsinki summit mm -hmm. that there was no way if he had any self-respect that Ambassador John Huntsman could remain in that position. And there were several leading Republicans mm -hmm. who suggested that he really should step down. Uh, in fact, Trey Gowdy um, South Carolina over the weekend Talk said... Talk about self-respect. Right. <laughs> that, that, exactly. But it's sort of ironic that he'd be the one to say it. But he said there are people around Donald Trump, he didn't mention Huntsman by name, yeah. who should step down, who should resign. But so Huntsman uh, wrote an op-ed in the uh, Salt Lake City, whatever the paper is, uh, explaining why he was not stepping down, right? He said, no, it's, his, it's important for him to stay it's on the job. Duty. Yeah, his which, duty. Which is sort of always always positioned himself as, like, the smartest man in the room, the most responsible man in the room. I'm not going to get muddied with all these politics. Like, I have my mission and my duty, and I believe in it, which is great. And, you know, there are—this has been, like, the argument dating back to even during the Trump campaign. Like, should sane, respectable, smart people, if asked to work for the Trump administration, go ahead and do it? And I'd say there was a better argument during the campaign to at least give it a shot and see what type of influence you could affect just being inside the room. Um, I don't know. At this point, it's pretty obvious that you can't really uh, influence Trump and that he's probably just going to make you look like an idiot. So I'm not sure what the moral answer is. I think in terms of his own career and reputation, he's going to be throwing it down the gutter if he stays. Right. But in terms of um, being any kind of a critic of Putin mm -hmm. in that role— he could not, right, and be there I mean, as I Donald was, as the representative of Donald Trump. It would be interesting to see what would happen if he tries. I mean, I would, if I were him, I'd say, you know, who cares if I get fired? It'll look bad for him. It'll be sort of like not quite as big of a deal by any means as firing James Comey. But it's a similar thing where it's like, why did you fire him? Like, what are you covering up? What, what, what did he do wrong? Um, 
But Huntsman's been a really quiet behind-the-scenes ambassador. I think before all this blew up, a lot of people had forgotten that he even was the ambassador. His name was floated for so long, and then he finally got confirmed, and he went, and he hasn't really made any news um, back home since he's been there. Right. Uh, he's a, he's in a tough spot, and so is Kay Bailey Hutchinson, uh, the former senator from Texas, who is our representative to NATO. Ah, yes. Remember at, at the at the meeting mm-hmm. in in uh, uh, in London, mm-hmm. and uh, she was on one side of Trump, or in Helsinki, she's on mm-hmm. one side, and uh, Huntsman was on the other side. Yeah, yeah, both looking at each other like, "What did we get into?" I know. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, meanwhile, um, have you been taking a look at Brett Kavanaugh? I have. Yes. Is he going to make it? Not, not in the way that most people have. I was looking at his Guantanamo record. Um, yeah. T- no, I saw. That's right. That's the mm-hmm. article I saw. Tell us just about a minute. What, what what's up with Guantanamo? Uh, still very open. Brett Kavanaugh is a huge defender of the legitimacy of the military commissions, which. Some people, including myself, would characterize as this kangaroo court, where it's sort of like make it up as you go along rules. Um, The court case that Kavanaugh weighed in was whether or not the charge of conspiracy should be charged in the military court in these these war trials. Um, He says, yes, it's legitimate because Congress wrote into law that conspiracy is an okay charge in these courts. Um, But international law, which typically guides what can go into a military commission, says that Mm -hmm. conspiracy is not a war crime. It should be charged in federal courts. But he believes some of these people could be held there indefinitely without Mm -hmm. ever being given a chance to defend themselves in a court of law. It fits in with this idea of this very strong view of the executive authority. If the executive claims that we're at war and these are law of war detainees, you know, yes, as long as we're fighting terrorism. One more issue that uh, may come up in these hearings for sure. Hey, Jessica, thanks so much for your good work. All right. We know you're moving to California. Hope we still get to see you, though. I'll be back. Is the Bill Press Show.